morning, everyone. Uh, thank you, Alison. Thank you, Mark. Uh, it really is uh, interesting being back. Uh, it's a careful choice of wording there. But just before I, I introduce this conspiracy, I would like to take a moment to say a huge thanks to the elders and to the deacons and to all the members here at Windsor for allowing me to take, or, or rather giving me, uh, a three-month sabbatical. It, it was a real gift, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, many of you will know that I had four key hopes for my time out. It was to reflect, to reconnect, to refresh and restore, and I can honestly say that those were fulfilled. And so thank you, and, and I fully appreciate how privileged I am to have been given this space and time, and, and so I, I haven't taking it for granted. And uh, on Sunday evening, the 4th of January, I am going to share a little more by way of a pilgrim's progress, uh, where I'm going to share just some sabbatical reflections on walking part of the Camino, on my time working in Clement's coffee shop, and on my 96-hour silent retreat at a Benedictine monastery, amongst other things. So if you're free that night and you are interested, then please do come along. But let's get back to the present and to Advent Conspiracy, which for the next few weeks is going to be our focus here on Sunday mornings, but, but hopefully beyond that. Now, I realize that, that one of those words is not particularly Christmassy. Uh, one of them is, or at least I hope the first comes across as a Christmas word because we currently find ourselves right there. We're in Advent this annual season of waiting and ex expectation. And during these weeks running up to Christmas, we're encouraged to do a number of things, and, and I've kind of highlighted three, at least three things. One is reflect on the first coming of Jesus. The second thing is to seriously consider his next, his return. And the third thing is to use these days to prepare our hearts for a fresh encounter with Jesus, for a fresh appreciation of Emmanuel, God, with us. And so the question I want to ask you this morning is, how's that going for you? How's that going for you and your family? The reflecting the looking forward, the anticipation, the seeking. Is that your current experience? Is that what usually happens each December? Or do thoughts of Christmas stir up quite different emotions, like panic and stress and anxiety? I mean, is that really more your actual, if you're honest, that's your actual experience of Christmas it's light years away from what you wish it was and from what you would love it to be, what you actually think it should be. And so let me introduce this second word, conspiracy. Now, I know that for, for some people, it's a word that creates an initial and immediate problem. Because whenever you hear it or see it, you think what? Conspiracy what? Somebody finish. Theories. Theories. Yeah. 
And we tend to associate those with... <laughs> have to be careful here. <laughs> what did someone say there? Nutters. <laughs> Can I just say it was Dorothea Jeffrey who said that? Okay. <laughs> Politically incorrect. Wipe that from the list. <laughs> Uh, I've put down here wacky ideas and slightly odd people. I was trying to be, <laughs> I was trying to be gentle, Dorothea, you know. And that is a fair point. That is a fair point. That is what many people do associate with this word. But at another level, a conspiracy carries this notion of a group of people planning together, plotting together to do things differently to rebel against the norm, to overturn something, to agree together, to ask some big important questions about the way things currently are and the way they might be. Do you know that whole idea, if only? You get a group of people together who actually start asking questions like, if only. And so what I'm inviting us as a church and you into this December is an Advent conspiracy. To conspire together to do Christmas a little differently this year. Because let me ask you a question. If Christmas, the first Christmas, really did change the world, if it turned it upside down, if it sparked new beginnings, new opportunities, if it altered everything, if it split history, can it still do that? Does Christmas still have the potential and the power to transform hearts and lives? Does it? Do we, do we actually believe that? Or is it just a festival of acquisition? Is that what it's become? Is it too far gone? Is it now too commercialized, too secular, too set, too stressful, too late? At times like this, whenever you're trying to find and recover perspective, it's always good to refer to Charlie Brown. Some of you were thinking I was going to say the Bible. <laughs> we will get there in a moment, or rather Linus will. But let me show you a quick video clip. Now, this clip is from years ago. The picture quality is pretty rubbish, but the content, I hope, is brilliant. Charlie Brown is deeply frustrated, and he's standing holding this rather, or it's beside him, this rather sad and pathetic-looking Christmas tree, and he cries out, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Cue Linus. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. I was going to say, let's close in prayer, but I've been there before. <laughs> so that's what Christmas is all about. Good news unto us. A savior has been born. The rescuer has come and everything changes. Nothing should ever be the same again, including your life and mine. But somehow, somehow the message, the truth, the reality of that has got lost under a pile of stuff that's been kind of like squeezed in, tagged on, piled on top of what Christmas is really all about. And therefore, I want to suggest something's got to give. Something needs to give in the midst of the deafening noise and manic mayhem if we're ever going to reimagine, recalibrate Christmas and in fact, recalibrate our own souls. And so, I invite you to join an Advent conspiracy. We're together we conspire to do things differently this year via four simple practices that have the potential to be powerfully countercultural. Now, before I give you these four, I want to keep you in suspense, I want to keep you with me, you need to know that this is not my idea. Right? Sorry to disappoint. In fact, none of us thought of this, not even our creative genius that is Mark Houston came up with this one. Advent Conspiracy was launched eight years ago by a group, a small group of of church leaders in North America to encourage people to enter into the Advent story with a renewed and a refreshed vision. And over the past eight years, this conspiracy has kind of gathered momentum as more and more churches and individuals and families have signed up to join the plot. And I'm kind of hoping we might, you might, sign up and join this plot as well. And here's how. Here are the four countercultural practices that, that might just enable us to subvert things in order to reflect, consider, seek. So here they are. And if you remember nothing else, just remember these four things worship fully, spend less, give more, love all. Really simple, because as you know, I am. Worship fully, spend, somebody got that, spend less, give more, love all. And in a moment, we're going to concentrate on the first one, but just in case you never come back again, and that's a risk, 
Just in case you never come back again during Advent, let, let me briefly explain what's behind the other three. Now, there is a real danger, and as I prepared for this, I reckon it, this is my first Sunday back. And some of you could be sitting there thinking, like, he's just back, and I know what's going to happen here. He's about to send us all on this massive guilt trip. Like, any chance of just heading back in sabbatical? Or you might be sitting there thinking, this is just another example of a church dishing out a dose of the Ebenezer Scrooge. Here they are just saying, bah humbug to Christmas. They're out to spoil, they're out to put a dampener on my Christmas. Joy to the world, yeah, great. But actually, all you're wanting to do is bring us into a church building and then lay it on us. And whenever you look at the second of these four practices, spend less, that may confirm your worst fears. And so let me say something right up front. We like gifts. I like gifts. Kids like gifts. Grown-ups like gifts. We are not, for women, I am not for one moment going to be suggesting spend nothing. But here's the thing. We now spend something like, and this is in the UK alone, we now spend something like 34 billion pounds at Christmas over and above normal spend. 34 billion. Just under half a million pounds was spent by us on Monday, Cyber Monday, online per minute half a million quid. And in a recent survey by Money Advice Service, they discovered that 30, this is a really recent survey, 2014, 37% of us feel under pressure to spend more than we can comfortably afford. 37% of us feel the pressure to spend more than we can actually afford. And a lot of that spending, let's be honest about this, because we need to be honest, I believe. A lot of that spending is driven by a sense of unnecessary obligation and unrealistic expectations. And what does that do? It leaves countless people and families in debt. More debt. And so what about taking a step back this year and asking some important questions like this? Do we honestly need to do this? Do, do we have to do Christmas this way? Or what about making the decision to buy, and this, this is the kind of thing, we're going to explore this more in detail next week. What about making the decision to buy one less Christmas present? But alongside this whole idea of spending less, and although this is about to sound contradictory, I want to encourage you to give more. So how does that work? Well, part of what we're going to look at next week is, is the challenge and the excitement of giving not more stuff, but actually giving more of yourself this Christmas. Not more presents, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, but more presents, P-R-E-N-P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. -E -E. <laughs> Rusty. Not more presents, but more presents. Because when you think about it, what we're really talking about is the whole idea of relational giving, which is what the first Christmas is all about. Because what did God do? He gave of himself. 
He took on flesh and he moved in. He came amongst, he drew alongside, he he shared life. And the question is, how could you and I give more of that kind of presence this year to our friends, to our families, to the stranger? And then fourthly, we're going to look at this whole idea of love all. You know, God, it says, so loved the world that he did what he gave. He so loved the world that he gave. And in a supreme act of humble love, Jesus, though he was rich, yet for our sakes becomes poor in order that we might become rich. That's what this is all about. And for those of us who claim to love God and to follow Jesus, then we've got to take our cue from our master and work out what does it actually mean to love all this Christmas. But let's go back to the first of these. So if you you never come back again, there it is all. It's just been given to you. But let's go back to the first one, worship fully. And it's it's no accident that it starts here because it's got to start here because Unless we approach and enter this season with a heart committed to actually worshiping Jesus, that that is what this is all about. That's why I'm saying where we enter into Advent with this idea, I am seeking a fresh encounter with Jesus. I want to fall in love with Jesus more and more. Emmanuel, God with us. And unless we enter into the season saying, this is what I want, I want to worship Jesus within my ent- with all of what I've got. Love God with my heart, soul, strength, mind, my entire being. Unless we kind of commit to entering into this season in those terms, we're probably never going to address the other three things in this list. Spend less, give more, love all. It's got to start here. Because actually Christmas starts and ends with Jesus. And although it may have become a rather twee, slightly naff and meaningless cliché, The fact is and remains that Jesus is the reason for the season. And therefore, he deserves to be our primary focus, the center of our attention and adoration. In other words, Jesus deserves, Jesus is worthy of our wholehearted worship, which is increasingly countercultural. Make Christmas about Jesus is becoming more and more countercultural. Make Christmas about loving Jesus with all you've got. Following Jesus passionately, that is deeply countercultural. But what does it actually mean? Because I, I struggle sometimes with, with phrases and, and even cliches. And so we, we say, yeah, let's worship fully. Let's get engaged in wholehearted worship. And people go, yeah, but what does that actually mean? Well, let me take you back to the first Christmas. Because you see, as you engage with the original story and you enter into it as a participant, not just a mere observer, because that's what I'm inviting you to do this morning, enter into the first Christmas as a participant. What you discover is that virtually everyone who was involved in and around that cosmic event responded in worship. They expressed their worship in very tangible and concrete ways, and I believe we can learn so much about what it means, what it looks like to worship fully from their example, from their reaction to God's intervention and gift. Worship 
was at the heart of the first Christmas. I suppose the question is, is worship going to be actually at the heart of mine? Is it going to be at the heart of this Christmas for me? If you have a Bible, relief, please turn to Luke chapter 1. It's page 1026. Now, we, we could spend a long time examining all the worshipful responses found in the gospel narratives regarding the first Christmas, but I want to just look at two. I want to look at the worshipful response of Mary and Joseph as individuals, and then Mary and Joseph together as a couple. And we know this, but, but whenever Mary encountered the Christmas story, and, and Mary encountered the Christmas story at a very, very personal level. And she responded whenever she encountered the Christmas story, she responded in two ways, at least two ways. And here they are, in service and in praise. Take a look at verse 38. Mary has just been told about Jesus. She's just been told about her unique role in his arrival. And then you read this, verse 38. Mary responded I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then you go down to 40, verse 46, the Magnificat, and here is how Mary responded. Again, it says it here. Mary responded, and outpours these incredible lyrics. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of a servant. From now on, generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the hungry or the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He sent the rich away empty. You see, to worship fully involves and leads to service and praise. That's what it means to worship fully, to serve and to sing. Mary heard and she surrendered. Here was someone with a genuine desire to serve God and to be available to allow God to accomplish His purposes, not only in her life, but in the lives of countless others. And so she said, I'm the Lord's servant. And if we're going to learn what it means to worship fully this Christmas, I believe that's what it's going to take. It's going to take each one of us saying, God, I'm your servant. I want to serve your purposes for my life and your purposes through me in the lives of countless others. That doesn't mean we won't struggle. That doesn't mean we won't have some issues to face and work through. Mary, it says, verse 29, was confused. She was disturbed by what she was hearing. She had countless questions. Look at verse 34. And there may be aspects of this story and God's story and God's plan for your life and for the lives of countless others that you have all sorts of queries about. And you're confused and you're disturbed and you're questioning, God, what are you doing and you know that's okay. 
We're not meant to check our brains at the door in order to worship Jesus. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to struggle with what God is doing. It's okay to ask questions of God. But at the end of the day, we've got to be prepared to submit and to surrender and to recognize who God is. That was Mary's story. That was Mary's response. And in her song, she waxes lyrical about the character of God. He is Lord, verse 46. He is her Savior, verse 47. He notices, verse 47 again. He is mighty. He is holy. He has done so much for her, verse 47 again. He shows mercy, verse 50. He's powerful, verse 51. He's compassionate. He's deep concerns for the humble, the helpless, and the hungry, verse 51. Mary's response during this first Christmas was service, and praise. And the question is, is that going to be my response this Christmas? In the midst of what happens around this time of year, am I going to serve? Am I going to sing? Or is there something holding me back? What's getting in the way? What's stopping me from worshiping with all I've got? To worship fully is to be a servant and a singer. But let's turn to another key character, and don't worry, I'm not long left. Let's turn to another key character at the first Christmas, Mary's partner, Joseph. Don't need to flick over, but if you want to, Matthew 1, where we find another core dimension and expression of full-on, wholehearted worship. And what is that? It's obedience. Costly obedience risky obedience, the kind of obedience that actually doesn't make sense to people around us. And we all know the story. Joseph has a dream. It's a genuine God dream. And an angel appears to him, and an angel tells him in this dream about Jesus. And the details of the dream, the details of what the angel shares with Joseph are shocking. And it involves a big ask, huge ask of this guy. And then we read that Joseph wakes up. And in verse 24, it says this. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded. You see, to worship is to obey. And the Bible makes it really clear that if we are going to love God with our heart, soul, strength, and mind, well, then it involves, calls for, and leads to obedience. Jesus himself made this point whenever he was speaking into the lives of his followers and he said this, listen, see if you love me, like if, you, if, if, this is, if this is where it's at, if you love me, you'll do what I've commanded. That's the evidence of your love for me. That, that's what it means to love. That's what it means to worship with all you've got, to obey. To worship is to fully embrace obedience. But like Joseph, for us, that's probably going to involve cost, risk, and misunderstanding. And living God's way increasingly does. So much of what we're taught in here jars. It makes no sense. It unsettles. It it actually is counterintuitive. And I know we've looked at some of this, but we're like, like, pray for your enemies. Bless those who curse you. 
that doesn't make any sense. Yes, that was, yet that's what Jesus calls us to do. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. And people won't understand us. In fact, they'll misunderstand us. They will think we've lost it. Why would you want to go the extra mile? Why would you want to show patience? Why would you want to forgive someone who's hurt you badly? Why would you want to say sorry? And on and on it goes. To worship is to obey. That was Joseph's story in that first Christmas. Big ask, God. Big ask. But I'm going to do everything you've asked me to do. To worship fully is to serve. To worship fully is to sing your heart out in praise. To worship fully is to obey. And finally, sticking with Mary and Joseph, and I know we could have looked at the angels' worship-filled response, the shepherds' worship-filled response, the wise men's worship-filled response, Zechariah's worship-filled response, all of the whole first Christmas is characterized by worship. But back to Luke's gospel, chapter 2 this time, verse 33. Matter days after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph take him to the temple. They present them, present them as was the custom. And they listen carefully as Simeon, this righteous, devout man, as he's described, say some incredible things about their baby. And whenever he finished saying these incredible things about Jesus, this is what we read in verse 33. Luke 2. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about Jesus. They marveled at what was being said about him. To worship fully involves and leads to a sense of wide-eyed wonder. That as you listen to what is said about Jesus, what is written down about Jesus, whether it's for the first time or the umpteenth time, that as you hear the readings, that as you sing the songs, we sang a couple of carols this morning, as you hear the readings, as you sing the songs, as you listen to the lessons over this Christmas period and you go to countless kind of carol services and all of that, that you guard against complacency. That you guard against familiarity. That you guard against distraction and disengagement. And so you allow what is said about Jesus, what is true about Jesus, this whole idea of Emmanuel, God with us, and all the truths about Christmas, that you allow those to strike you afresh, that you're awestruck, that you marvel at what has been said about Jesus, what is true about Jesus. And don't let it just wash over you again. And so in the midst of our busyness, and it is a busy time of year, and there's lots to do, I know that. Lots to sort out. The question is, am I going to be able to make time to reflect and ponder and marvel? To stand in awe of Jesus? Or, or, or is that just going to be an afterthought when everything else gets done? And so at the start of this Advent conspiracy, I invite you to join with one another. And the thing is, what I want you to do is talk about this together. But to join with one another in conspiring to do Christmas just a little differently this year. Just flip it. Turn it upside down. 
Put Jesus back at the center. Let's not simply grit our teeth and attempt to survive this. Rather, let's reimagine possibilities. It starts and ends with Jesus, whose coming changed and changes everything. And so as we consider spending less, giving more, and loving all, do you know where it's got to start? It's got to start in here. With hearts that are committed to worshiping fully. And what does that mean? Serve willingly, sing passionately, obey readily, marvel or obey readily, marvel regularly. Going to invite the guys to come back. And just as they're coming back, I, I want to just pray. And I've recently been using uh, the Common Worship Daily Prayer Book. And every Tuesday morning, it suggests you pray these words. And I kind of thought that these words are an apt end to our service, and then guys are going to lead us in, in some praise. Here's the prayer. I am giving you worship with all of my life. I'm giving you obedience with all of my power. I'm giving you praise with all my strength. I'm giving you honor with all my speech. I'm giving you love with all my heart. Take a moment. And if it is your desire to worship fully this Christmas, use those words to pray.